Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm excited to have Ira Ten, who's the co-founder and CEO of Q, uh, which is the most trusted female health app. Uh, prior to starting Q, uh, Ira co-founded uh, a motorcycle touring company, Muro Mundo. Uh, it is also the author of the Danish best-selling book called Directness. Welcome to the show, Ida. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So, uh, so you know, you, you've had quite an adventurous journey. Uh, uh, you know, it's quite interesting to know that you started off with uh, Muto Mundo. You you traveled the, the world. How, how did you get in this world of startups? You know, it's actually a really funny story that starts in London because I got lost at university. It was called London College. College of Printing back then. Oh. And I was trying to find someplace in this huge building. I got lost. I ended up in an office where they were waiting to do an interview with somebody. They knew I was not the right person. I knew I was in the wrong place. And we still did the interview. And that was for an entrepreneurship course. And I oh. did it. And they asked, like, what's your business idea? And I was like, uh, <laughs> Bristol Bee Jewelry. I just said something. And then I built my first business in Crystal Bee Jewelry. <laughs> oh, super interesting. Yeah. Uh, and did you did you run that business for quite some time before you moved on to Muto Mundo? I, I did it for a while, uh, just enough to earn enough money to go to Mexico and buy a motorcycle and travel around there for six months. I understood that I did not want to be in the fashion industry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I did many things in between. And then I started the motorcycle touring company with my dad later. Oh, interesting. And, uh, you know, how, how did you, uh, you know, get your start in, with Moto Mundo, uh, you know, uh, and you travel the world quite adventurous, you know, how, how did it, it all start about? Yeah. So my parents are these kind of crazy adventurers who've traveled around on motorcycles with me and my brother since I was one year old. Um, they did four long travels around the world. So after I had graduated from business school, um, like lots of different things happened, but in the end I was sitting with my dad and he wanted to make, you know, a change in his life and do something new. And I was sitting there not wanting to work in a corporate. And we were like, let's do a motorcycle touring company together. We know about motorcycle touring. And so we did that. And it was a great lifestyle for five years. And then eventually I was like, okay, if I keep riding a motorcycle as my profession, I will get hurt. I should stop while it's still good. Oh, very, very interesting. And how, how is it working with a family member? You know, uh, I, I've seen, uh, you know, a lo- lot of couples who've come on the podcast, but how is it working with your father? And, you know, what advice you give to founders, or, you know, who are listening to this podcast about a father-daughter or a father-son relationship? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because other people would be like, oh, yeah, I also work with my brother. Or they'll be like, I could never work with my, you know. Yeah. And I don't know, there's, it's just been this pattern in my life where I have started something and before very long, my partner at the time would start working with me. It has happened like, you know, I think three times. <laughs> Basically every company I've started, I apparently had a new partner every time, <laughs> but they have ended up working with me. And so it actually felt quite natural to work with my dad. We were a pretty good team, I think. Um, I think if you build a business and it gets to a certain level, it might get more complicated because at some point, um, 
you know, in the beginning, you do everything and you do it as well as you can. And as the company matures, you know, you need to be more professional in decisions. And at that point, it might get more tricky. Um, but for me, it was great. I liked it. Okay. And, and uh, you know, especially you, if you're working with a family member or like a partner, um, how do you... Uh, Uh, how do you make how, you know how do you give hard feedback to them you know uh, because oh. you're working with them so closely you know so i worked for many years with my ex partner that i built through with and we were pretty good at giving hard feedback to each other i think maybe a little bit too good um that was not really the issue and i think for maybe especially many women it can be really beneficial to work with your partner because it makes the whole life work juggle a little bit easier because you're two people who are both trying to make a family work and a business and your careers are equally important your business meetings are equally important you maybe earn the same salary um, and you're equally passionate about what you're doing um, but it also meant that we talked about Clue all the time Like from we woke up in the morning, the last thing we talked about. And then at some point, some years, and we were like, okay, like if one person needs a break, we just like, hey, let's pause this. And if we got good at being like, okay, let's not talk about this. But um, I think for the people around us, it, it was quite challenging at times. I don't think investors liked it that much. Um, and we definitely had our shitty dynamics. Like I'll be totally honest, like we, we fought a lot and, I, you know, it It was not just rosy, it was really hard too. Um, but I want to say to that, that I think a lot of investors are scared off when they see founder couples. But as a founder couple, and maybe especially if you have children together, you really have so much at stake that you will do a lot of things to make it work. Um, yeah. I think it kept us together a little bit like you know, when people had a farm, farm in the old days and you cannot run a farm alone, so you had to stay together. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we felt like that. Mm, okay, interesting. And um, uh, you know, it, uh, you you're famous for coining the word fem femtech, uh, and you know, you you built a company, Clue. You know, how did how did the idea come about, and uh, ab about Clue and about femtech? So I had the idea for Clue back in 2009, and it really came from this strong wish to have a new type of birth control um, for myself and for the planet. Honestly, you know, there had been no innovation really in family planning methods um, since the late 50s. I mean, for so long. Right. And um, I really felt that the world needed that. So I wanted to build the technology that could help women work kind of with their hormones instead of overriding them. So I wanted to build a home diagnostics that could measure hormones in saliva. That was my initial idea to have this really precise sort of data point on which, like which days can I actually get pregnant because it turns out it ain't that many during a cycle. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that was how I got started with Clue. And the term Femtech came some years later because I could see that there was so much activity. And people were building things that felt kind of neighboring to what Clue was building, but we didn't have a shared language. And I I had this strong hypothesis that if we had one term that would unite us all, it would be so much easier for investors to see us, for media to talk about this new emerging category in tech. 
um, and for people to find each other. We're building things that, you know, we're related. Got it. Interesting. And, you know, you, you were able to uh, build a, quite a large user base. I was wondering, you know, what, what were some of the, you know, some of the tactics you used to to build a, a user base, uh, especially, you know, for such a niche product? Uh, any advice would you give to founders on who are looking to, you know, grow uh, the downloads for the app? So, you know, you might think of it as a niche product or a niche market, Right. But it turns out that it's relevant to 50% of the world's population for right. 40 years of their lives. It is anything but niche. Um, and of course, for people who want to conceive or for men who care about, you know, avoiding pregnancy, it might also be quite relevant for them to understand their partner's cycle. So arguably it's relevant for 100% of the world's population or maybe just a little bit less. Um so as we were thinking about building this hardware, we knew that hardware is hard. It takes time. And my um, co-founder, Hans, he was like, we should start by building a period tracking app. because in that way, we can start building a customer base, which was a really important decision because then a few years down the line, we realized that, well, we can actually get to the same you know, results only by having data and not actually having the hardware. Mm. And at that point, we let go of the hardware and continue to sort of on the data route. So how do we grow? Well, no growth happens by accident. I mean, I think there's a lot of knowledge on how you do digital marketing so that you grow. We were early to start working with YouTubers. It was, it was called back then, how it's called influencers, or maybe something new I don't even know about. But, um, and we could do that with a lot of integrity because the people that we work with were our target group and they found the product like authentically meaningful in their own lives. Um, and I think that was one thing that really carried us through and still does was that we, like we really care what we care about, what it is that we're building, you know? <laughs> we really wanted to create a product that was truly helpful for people. And we wanted to do it with a lot of scientific integrity um, and we cared about, we still care deeply about people's privacy, data privacy. So I think over time, people got to new clue as a company they felt comfortable sharing this really intimate data with. In a, in a world where increasingly tech has like a trust problem. Yeah. Mm. Quite interesting, and um, you you know you you were also able to to raise uh, around seven million dollars from uh, Union Square uh, Square Ventures, and and then later on from Nokia Group partners. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I've been a fan of Fred Wilson uh, and the and the USV Group. You know, how did you manage to convince USV to invest into into your company? Yes, um, so I believe that Hans had met. Uh, Albert, which is the partner that we have worked with all these years at some conference and I had a conversation and kind of thought they would be a great fund. Mm. And then we got the opportunity to pitch um, to them and we had a newborn. So I was breastfeeding in that pitch meeting. Like I was literally breastfeeding as I was pitching. Um, and I think they were like, if somebody is to build a big company in this segment there has to be a woman 
yeah. in that company. Um, and they then said, yes, yeah, and we have, then you mentioned a couple of our investors. We now have, you know, a good bunch more institutional investors and private family funds yeah. uh, in that mix. Yeah, so how do we convince them? I mean, you never really know what happens. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's very much like a black box. Yeah. Also, very often why you didn't get the check. <laughs> you're yeah. like, this meeting went so fine. They loved it. And then they come with a no, and you're like, what happened? I <laughs> did. <laughs> um, so I do like that USB are based on a thesis. You know, they they have sort of an intellectual ground that they're standing on. Um, which I, if I, you know, can get a little bit pointy, I'd say a lot of investors maybe don't have. Yeah. They kind of follow things that are hot in the moment, mm. but don't really formulate their own idea about what they want to support. Because in the end, venture capitalist has a really big say in what is being built in this world right now and what is being built in technology is forming our world. So it's a huge responsibility, I think, yeah. venture capitalists and founders have which is something I don't think we talk quite enough about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, uh, you, you know, you've been part of quite a few startups, you know. Uh, how important do you think is uh, speed of execution uh, for, for uh, in startups? And especially when it comes to quality of work, do you think is quality of work as important as the speed of execution? I think it depends a lot what you're trying to build. But if you're building something that touches people's health, you have to be very thoughtful. Um, And we got FDA clearance for a product to help people not get pregnant. Mm. And it's all about quality. Both because as a regulated company, you have to guarantee quality. You have to guarantee safety. That is what regulation is. And that means you have to prove that you're doing everything in your power to keep users safe. And that means you have a quality management system, you do surveillance of the result. Like it's, it's you know, it's you're, you're grown up as a company at that point to be able to do that, at least in some, in some aspects. It's, um, it's not fast and it shouldn't be fast. It should be high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's the reality of being a startup where you have to be crazy as dude, you know, because you are running out of money all the time and you are competing with other people building stuff. So you have to try and get these balances right. But our take was, if you gear a whole company around quality, in the end, you will be fast. You know, you will do things right. And it actually came to to a point where recently we're like, okay, we have a 10-year-old tech stack in our product this is not helpful anymore. Let's rebuild the whole app from the beginning up. And so we did. We just built the whole thing over <laughs> and have now actually managed to um, to have almost all our users on the new on the new mobile app really, which was an incredible achievement from the from the tech um, part of the company. Do I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives 
increase the social media presence by 10x, they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Uh, and you know what can startups do to deliberately increase the speed of execution uh in order to you know especially when it comes to product and and tech part you know or what can they do to reiterate and make sure that uh the execution accelerates you know having a strong focus is definitely the beginning which sounds easy it's really hard to do it's so painful you constantly have to not do things that you desperately feel you have to do and want to do <laughs> so that's a first bitter pill to swallow but then i think how you build a culture where people can really trust each other where they can communicate really well where they care about each other where they can give that honest piece of feedback that will make things flow again like the relational intelligence is something that will actually make things go faster. But it's those skills that it takes leadership attention to cultivate, and it also takes investment and time. And I think they are very often overlooked because they look like they are not making us faster. It might even be slow. We might have to sit in a circle and talk about emotions. But actually, I think it gives you a lot of speed at the end because it also makes the organization resilient and it makes you able to you know have a team who are really putting their best foot forward all the time mm-hmm. what you don't want is a sluggish kind of you know morale or motivation and everybody's instead of you know not really doing anything <laughs> like that's a horror scenario so if you want people who really care you know, figure out a culture where you make people feel human and feel each other as humans. Got it. And, uh, you know, you interestingly mentioned about, about, the, about the, uh, the talent which is there in the company, but especially when, when it comes to early stage startup, do you think, uh, should you, is it okay to hire a B player or should you wait for an A player to to come uh, and wait for that A player, or or would you advise founders to you know have a B player to start up with, and then when you have a bit of a traction, then hire somebody who's an A player? You know, it's not like your applicants walking through the door with like an A or a B on their forehead. You yeah. know, most likely it's not what's available that determines who you get. It's actually your human ability to understand what human is sitting in front of you and for you to understand what you really need. Because often I think part of the hiring challenge is, did we actually really know what we needed? (laughs) Um, Sometimes, you know, a few months in, you're like, oh, actually we hired a person who's great, but this is not really what we need. So I think I don't like so much thinking about whether people are able players as such I think you know you always want to hire the best one you can find but then how do you make the ones you have A players how do you train people and support people and grow people and invest into people Um, and then now I said all the things that I deeply feel and think but then if I have to be really pragmatic wait and get the A player Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I will also say in the beginning, you need people who are 
good at many things, like generalist, and then as the company matures, you need more and more specialization. But what I learned, I would say, over the years is hire somebody who has a lot of mental health in them. It's tough being in a startup, not because we're not kind to each other at all of that. Like in a best case scenario, it's a great place to work, but it's still tough because there is a lot of insecurity and you try things that don't work and you have to change all the time what you built a year ago. You can scrap a building. So it's a, it's a challenging place to, play, place to be. So as a leader, find people that you feel are like ready to learn, ready to grow or, you know, sort of, it's not that people have to be perfect I and mean, everybody has something going on in their mind that can be challenging, yeah. but somebody who's willing to work with what's challenging. I think that's, mm. I would, I, I hire for that. Mm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And uh, especially, you know, when, when you, you're building clue, uh, how did you look at focus and prioritization uh, and, you know, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, a product, you know, how did you, uh, look at what to be prioritized on you know i don't i don't think we were always as good at it as we are now i think we also really read the hardware where we're like oh okay <laughs> we were trying to do too much which made us too slow or we're making things and we build a product but it took for long and now we have to pivot to do something that is like faster earning us money or like we've made many mistakes like <laughs> but um I mean, it's really that simple that you make a list of things you want to build and you're like, okay, but what's going to be on top? Okay, that's the one thing we do. And if you have a huge team and you're like, maybe you can afford two things, but like, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, things will help you. But like for us, for instance, we had, you know, we had to get FDA clearance. That was like the one thing we had to get right. <laughs> it's just organized everything. And it took absolutely everything we had. Mm, okay got it and uh you, you know you, you coined the, the 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 term fintech and you built a great brand what what does brand mean to you brand yeah brand is in my mind how you tell people who you are mm. it's the it's a way to say hey users you can choose all these different things out there and this is who we are. Now you have a free choice to choose us if you like this. Oh. And, um, and so for us, it was always about how do we communicate who we really are? Um, and, um, and it goes into all the tiny details all the time. Like, how do you think about your illustrations, your colors, your fonts, your the pictures you choose, your slogans, your marketing material for the app stores? And you, you just have this kind of inner navigation of like, does this feel true? Does this feel inclusive? Does it feel whatever your values are? Um, and I think we built a very authentic and strong brand. I don't think we are always as good as leveraging it as we could have been, or maybe we're still not as good at it. I don't know, but. Yeah, uh, interesting. I wanted to understand, you know, what what are the single biggest mistake, uh, you know, founders make uh, when it comes to branding these days? I would say if you're trying to be something you're not, that's never going to go well. 
Like if you have to think hard about what your brand is, I would say stop the brand conversation and have a value conversation instead. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you, you talked about a team culture, you know, I was wondering, you know, how, how does uh, how does the founder or, you know, the leadership team build uh, a place of safety for for their employees so that, you know, they can... Uh, they can debate about things and they they just not yes man to the founder and they can you know articulate uh, what they want to uh, they want to be heard uh, in in the company yeah. i love that question how do you create safety for your team and um it's complex and i think you have to be honest and say there's some some parts of safety that we cannot create you know we might run out of money our product might fail the competition yeah. might kill us like there's all these parts but we can have relational safety hmm. and that means that if you know i'll be honest i'll be transparent i'll listen to you you know i'll go i'll go ask for your opinion so for instance i had something um called skip level meetings that i learned from some CEO, I think it was from Twitter or somewhere. And the idea was before, you know, before Twitter happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the idea was that you go out and you set up a meeting with a random uh, collection of people from the organization, five, 10 people, whatever. And then you ask them like, what's not working right now in the organization? And also what is working? And you just get like an unfiltered as much as possible data flow back from across the organization. And I think that's, you know, having everybody feel that the leadership will go and actually really listen. Um, and then often I would be like, okay, and I would loop back to them. Okay, this is all the things I've heard. So they knew that I had actually heard it. And then I would say these couple of things I'm going to take care of. And I would bring them back to the management team and say, like, these are the things I've heard. What are we going to do about them? And then at the all hands meeting, I would be like, these are some of the things I've heard and here's what we're doing. So there really was this feedback loop. Um, not that I mentioned value, but also say when we create, when we formulated the values of Foo, I had the whole team come on an offside, which is a, a hike at a beautiful place uh, somewhere. And we're, and I was like, tell me, how do you perceive Foo? Like, who are we? Mm. And they would describe what values they felt that we were living. And then I would go back with the leadership team and say, okay, the whole things we've heard, we condense it. Then we went back to the team and really like, do you like, well, what about this? Like, <laughs> these are the values we heard. We condensed them. And then they gave feedback again. I was like, oh, this one, you didn't go, you know? And then it was a mix of what we heard, what we wanted to aspire to. And then we're like, here are the values. And that way, everybody had been part of this formulation and debate about who we were. And I think that made everybody feel that they could relate to the values we then formulated in the end. So these are examples how you include people and actually really listen. And obviously there are like a thousand things you do. It's a mindset. If you have the mindset that you actually care about what people are saying, you will create safety. You have to actually care. Um, so uh, you know, you, you also uh, you know wrote a, a best-selling book called Directness. You know what made you write the book? Hmm. 
Um, so I had done a two-year motorcycle solo trip in the U.S. in sort of the desert re re regions of the U.S. And it was a travel, like a, a book about my journey, but it was also very much a book about my inner journey and kind of my considerations about life. Um, I was in my late 20s, so before starting a family and company and um, I, I wanted to write because I felt I had so many questions about like, how do you actually make these big choices about life, like career and family and love. And, um, and I felt that there are so many norms in our culture about these things. And I guess I was like double clicking on some of these norms. I'm like, really? Why? What? <laughs> so um, as I was exploring that, felt maybe it would be helpful for other people to, to follow me in that process. Yeah, interesting because you know uh, before the call we discussed uh, about, about the new book which is coming out. Really excited to uh, to know about the new book that you're writing and what is it all about. Yeah, so I have learned so much being a CEO and founder for 12 years at Blue, and I wanted to give something back to people who are maybe at the beginning of this journey. And to people who are in the broader industry, so venture capitalists, people building sort of network hubs, accelerators, like lots of people in tech were not actually, you know, founders. Um, and, and I have a lot of uh, things where I'm like, hold on, like, why are we doing it like this? This doesn't make much sense. Um, and I definitely have some criticisms, I guess, about how our systems work. So I wanted to, to write to support, but also definitely to question how we're doing things. And then I think there is a huge systemic change happening that is very exciting. I see a lot of signals. So I want to talk about where I see we're going um, kind of as a planet <laughs> and how tech is playing a role, actually an outsized role in building this new world. Um, and I'm a little bit concerned about some of the ethical <laughs> kind of foundations that some tech builders are standing on. So I want to give a couple of tips and tricks on how to maybe think twice when you're building technology that's going to change the world. <laughs> awesome. And, and when do you think the book is going to come, uh, come live? Oh, I hope it will come this year, but I have to get a little bit lucky. I'm still looking for the, you know, the the right partners to publish it with. Um, I would love it to come out in the US okay. first, or maybe the UK, but I've written it in English. So let's see. Mm. I, I'm open for help <laughs> okay. to get it to the right publisher or the right agent. Yeah, I think I did things the wrong way around. I wrote it first and then trying to figure oh. out what book it is, but... <laughs> okay, okay. Well, interesting. And, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? I One book that really made an impression, it's old now, I think it came out in 2014, was The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, I, I loved how personal and kind of half insane it was. But I like that it was human. I like that he brought in like the human aspects of building something. Um, 
And I should also say, I read this probably when it came out. I'm sure I would read it very differently today, but it definitely made an impression as I read it. Um, I also like um, Girl Bus by Sofia Amoroso because I saw so much of myself in her energy. I had not built a great company when I read it. And, you know, she's very impressive in many ways that I'm not in this, you know, we're different, but I... I still felt very inspired as I read her book. Um, and then another book that I also really just kept thinking about was um, Invisible Women about the data gender gap. I think that's a really important book for people to read. It was eye-opening, understanding that when we don't collect data that is gender specific, we are basically collecting data on men. And that's the problem where we're trying to build a world that works not only for straight white men. Mm. So, yeah, got an interesting. I, I mean, hard things about hard things. The girl boss, uh, a, a great book. So we're going to put that in the show notes. I've not read Invisible Woman. I'm going to read it after after this part. Uh, but we'll put that in the show notes. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started building Clue, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, yeah, I mean, it, like, it's a philosophy of mine. I don't regret anything because you always do the best. And I think it's arrogant to think that you could have done anything differently, really, than you did because you did your really best all the time. Um, I would have gotten really strong technical leadership into the company faster. That's probably the one thing where I'm like, that was a mistake. We somehow we also kind of just got a bit unlucky and, you know, I have many good excuses, <laughs> but fundamentally having had really good technical leadership area would have saved us a lot of trouble. Got it. Interesting. And do you have a favorite online tool or any tool uh, that you, that's uh, uh, your favorite? You know, of course we use, I think we made a list. I think we had, 80 different online tools that we used at Clue. It's actually a huge expense post, by the way. Um, so we, you know, all the well-knowns. But when I really think about an important tool, I'm going to say a hug. Because a hug, yes. Because I think when you manage to build a culture where people feel comfortable and it's natural that they give each other a hug, yeah. each other or something went well or something is going really crap, that's such a sign of health. It's a sign of real human connection, sign of support, a sign of you being able to share this crazy roller coaster. And, and a hug doesn't come entirely by itself. I think it's a leadership skill to build an organization where people want to give each other a hug. Mm. And, um, and especially now with hybrid you know, workplaces and corona, it, it's getting harder to get a hug. Yeah. So leaders who can create organizations where people give a hug, that's a really awesome tool. Mm, it's super, super interesting. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Ida, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about, about yourself, about Clue and directness? Where can they, where can people reach out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm getting better at LinkedIn, but I will say there has been times where I did not reach LinkedIn messages for many months. <laughs> but that is probably a good place. Yeah. Yeah. 
Correct. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Ira, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. Uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for all your good questions. Go ahead. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.